Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end naught could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage. The which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss, our toil shall strive to mend. So begins the play as the chorus steps out onto the stage and tells the audience the whole story before we have even met any of the characters. Welcome to the AudioPie podcast on the prologue of Romeo and Juliet. Okay, so first things first, what's a chorus? The chorus only appears here and at the beginning of Act Two. It's a kind of narrator figure, and the idea comes from Greek tragedy, where a group of actors would comment on the action as it unfolded. So here, he basically sets the scene. He tells us that there are two noble families, or households, and that they have had a long-standing feud. He tells us that the play takes place in Verona, in Italy, and also a bit about the main characters. Yes, but not only that. Notice that the chorus also tells us exactly what is going to happen. We learn that the lovers are star-crossed or ill-fated, and that they will both take their life. We learn that their love is death-marked from the outset. In other words, destiny has already decided that their relationship is doomed. Now remember, many audiences in Elizabethan England would have believed that the stars controlled people's lives. This sense of fate would therefore be very important to them. Yes, and it's important from a dramatic perspective as well. If the audience knows from the start how the plot is going to unfold, then Shakespeare can make regular and powerful use of dramatic irony. Is that why there are so many references to death in the play? Yes, exactly. For example, in Act Three, Scene Five, where Romeo has to leave Juliet for the safety of Mantua, and she says to him, "Methinks I see thee now thou art below, as one dead in the bottom of a tomb." This moment foreshadows Romeo's death in Act Five. And reminds us that his end is certain, as is Juliet's, of course. This heightens the dramatic tension for the audience all the way through. When Romeo and Juliet first meet, when Tybalt kills Mercutio, and then Romeo kills Tybalt, when Romeo hears the false report that Juliet is dead, all of these events and more leave the audience almost screaming at the stage, because we can see how fate is working out its plan, and we are desperate that it be avoided somehow. So, by telling the whole story at the start, Shakespeare is showing us how fate works—that everything will work towards the fulfilment of destiny. That's right, and this is emphasised by Shakespeare's use of a sonnet for this prologue. As you are no doubt aware, a sonnet is a poem in fourteen lines, popular in Shakespeare's day, often about love and notoriously difficult to write. The strict rhythm and rhyme scheme suggest that Romeo and Juliet's futures are all sewn up. There is nothing that anyone can do to change them. Notice the semantic field of violence that dominates this opening. 
words like blood, foes, mutiny, strife and rage remind us that conflict is as much a theme of this play as love is, and also that Romeo and Juliet's relationship occurs within the context of fighting. But it also tells us that true love wins in the end, because the feud between the two families ends as a result of the lovers' deaths. The rhyming words link together important ideas. Despite their dignity, the Montagues and the Capulets are involved in mutiny. The scene becomes unclean with the blood of the warring families. The life of the unfortunate lovers is marked by strife, and so forth. It's also rather a self-conscious opening. Shakespeare reminds his audience that they are watching a play rather than real life, for example by referring to the two hours traffic of our stage. By doing this, Shakespeare seems to try to distance his audience from the action. The dramatic irony throughout the play that is caused by the information shared in the prologue can, as we have already mentioned, draw the audience further into the play. But alongside the reminder that this is a play and fictional, it can also have the opposite effect. It can take away the thrill and the intensity of the storytelling, so that instead of engaging most with the plot and the characters, we invest more in the moral and the message. Perhaps Shakespeare tells us the whole plot in his prologue so that we are not too distracted by the storyline to focus on his main idea. It could be argued that Shakespeare's main message is that love will always triumph over conflict. Or that, try as we might, we are not in control of our lives. Fate is. Or you could argue that Shakespeare's message is that overly passionate love is dangerous and should therefore be avoided. As Friar Lawrence says in Act 2, Scene 6, these violent delights have violent ends. The last lines of the play seem to suggest that the play's story is about Juliet. The prince says... For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. Do you agree? Surely it could be argued that the story is far more about Romeo than it is about Juliet. Perhaps this word order just allowed Shakespeare a convenient rhyme. (laughs) Well, maybe. Deciding what you think Shakespeare was trying to communicate in his play can help you to interpret it more effectively. So, before you listen to the next podcast, have a think about these questions. Why do you think Shakespeare tells us the whole story before the play begins? What do you think Shakespeare's message is? And what effect does the dramatic irony have on you as you watch? If you haven't already watched a version of the play all the way through, try Zeffirelli's 1968 film or the Baz Luhrmann 1996 one and ask yourselves those questions as you watch. Interestingly, Zeffirelli uses the prologue as a kind of standard introduction, whereas Lerman has the prologue spoken by a newsreader on a small TV in the middle of the screen, which gives the impression that the subsequent story is all part of a longer news programme, and that the events are therefore being shown in flashback. The director chooses to return to this newsreader for the final lines of the play, which Shakespeare wrote for The Prince. Lerman's interpretation emphasises the role of fate even more, because it implies that the events of the play have already happened in the past tense. They are so certain, it is as though they have already irreversibly taken place and are now just being reported on in the present. So, which interpretation do you think is more plausible and engaging? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next part.
We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.